gospel. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, we're going to read the first 11 verses today before going to the table. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all day, took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, to the other boats, to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. He may be seated. 9-11, now 20 years ago, was a day that changed and shaped our nation through tremendous loss as well as through unity of a country, and for some it was a call to action. 250,000 men and women signed up for active or reserved military duties post 9-11. It was the largest sign-up since Pearl Harbor. For them, this attack on American soil was the awakening that was needed, and it changed the course of their lives. As one now 20-year Army veteran said, September 11 happened, and I was 20 years old, single and living in a little apartment, and I just felt that there was more. I should be doing more with my life. And by January, I was in basic training. I think that was true of many. It was a time of reflection and re-examining and repurposing. The story that's before us this morning from Luke chapter 5, I believe, was the 9-11 event, so to speak, in the life of Peter. Though not through disaster, it came rather through a miraculous catch. A catch of fish, and yet it was so much more than that. It was the means by which King Jesus captured or catched the heart and mind of Peter and sent him on a different path, a different mission. No longer catching fish, but rather catching men, being a fisher of men. And what we see in this calling of Peter echoes our call as well. Just as Peter was called to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, and then sent out by him, so we are called and sent 
as well. But the question must be asked, will we respond similarly? Will we respond in a similar fashion that Peter did in this passage? We'll see that this morning in five points. The response, the reward, the reaction, the receiving, and the repurposing. First, the response. Luke, as you remember from the opening chapters in this gospel, is writing to Theophilus, and he's writing an accurate account of the life and teaching of Christ. And he says, so that you may know, Theophilus, the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. So Luke is not only a histographer writing history, he is also a teacher. And he is putting forth and telling not only these stories of Christ, but he is setting forth a, a pattern, a pattern that must be followed by all those that hear. And what we have seen so far is that Luke is laying out that Jesus is not only the, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, not only is the second and better Adam, that he is the true Messiah, that he is the true King of Kings. And you can see how each passage lays down that truth all of which is accurate, all of which is important, and all of which demands a response. And what we see in this passage this morning is that this is a response passage. And that response comes in the form, in the model, you might say, of Simon Peter. Now last week we were briefly introduced to Peter via his mother-in-law and her healing, but this is the first passage where Peter is front and center. And what we see is that this is Peter's calling, his calling to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. And we might ask, how is it that Peter became Peter? Well, it began here. You might say it started like any other day. Peter and his brother Andrew, along with James and John, their fishing partners, had fished all night. Now you might ask, why was it all night? Did they just not like to, to sleep? No, if you know anything about fishing, that is the best time to fish. Why? Because that is when the fish are, are feeding and when they come into the, the shallow waters. And if you're trying to catch them by net, which is what Peter was doing, you have the best opportunity to catch them then. That the net would, would be thrown out and it would quickly go down and the fish that were there would be trapped in the shallow water. And you could pull them in, you could scoop them in as it were. And it says that they did this all night. Now remember, this was not recreational fishing. They were not weekend warriors out on their Yamaha 350 bass fishing boats. Now this was their profession. And it was hard, back-breaking work where you would be casting out your nets and then dragging them in and then casting them out and dragging them in and doing that again and again and again. And each time that you would do it, that net would get heavier and heavier as the ropes would get more and more soaked 
and you would get more and more tired and fatigued. And along with getting very much wet and, and cold, if you caught any fish, you would smell like fish. This is difficult work. I've done a little bit of fishing in my life. Most of it has been cushy charter fishing where the captain of the boat does most of it. But even then, when I come back from a a day of this type of fishing, my wife rightfully tells me not to come anywhere near, but to immediately go and, and take a shower because it is not pleasant. And this would be even more so. But what we read in this passage was that it was not a successful night of fishing. According to Peter in verse 5, they they caught nothing. And so it was probably late morning or, or high noon even. The boats now are back on shore. And the men are cleaning and repairing their nets. They are removing all of the debris. They are stretching out their nets so that their nets could be dried in the sun. And along comes Jesus. Now, no doubt they had had a little bit of exposure to Jesus. They, they knew who he was. It doesn't seem like he was a stranger, but we see that they get to know him much more through this. And Jesus gets into Simon's boat and has him push out a little, not to fish, at least not yet but to teach. And I know that I sound like a broken record here, but Jesus was a teacher and a a preacher. Three weeks now we have seen that that was the, the main activity that Jesus was engaged in. And he goes to the lake of Gennesaret, the, the Sea of Galilee, and he goes to, to teach and to preach. And it says that there were, there were many, there was in fact a crowd that was pressing in to hear the the word of God from, indeed, the word of God from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that's why he got in this boat to to be able to have a little bit of space between him and, and the crowd that was pressing in and so that they could all see and that they could hear him. Now we know the, the difference, right, between hearing and listening. Hearing is passive, Listening is active. As long as you have ears that that work properly, you hear. But to listen, that involves the, the heart and the mind and even often action. And you know the difference, don't you? Sometimes I, I say things to my kids, and I know this never happens in, in your home. I I often have to repeat myself of what I have said and what I have told them. And the response oftentimes comes back from them, I I heard you. To which I say, you heard me, but you did not listen. And you surely did not do what I told you to do. See, in the Hebrew language, there is no disconnect. The Hebrew word for hear is Shema, which begins the very famous verse from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, which was our our memory verse last month in the evening worship. And it is a verse that is repeated by those that are practicing Jews daily. 
And it begins, Shema, O Yisrael, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's their confession of faith. And that word here, or Shema, is more than just let that sound hit your eardrums. No, it's to give attention to. It's to understand. It's to submit to. It's even to obey. In other words, it's a call to response. And we know many that day heard, but all did not listen. They did not respond. They did not shema. They did not obey. But there was one that did. And that one was Peter. He listened and he acted. And we see that Jesus, after this preaching and teaching, it says when he had finished up speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now that sounds quite easy, perhaps, to us. But think about it for a moment. It was the wrong time of day to make a catch. It was high noon. The the sun was high in the sky. It was very hot, no doubt. It's when the fish would go down into the very deep water. He tells them to to go out into the deep, which would have been the, the wrong depth to catch anything. Remember, you're throwing out nets, hoping that you're able to catch them near the surface of the water, not in the deep. Furthermore, they had finished doing this very thing all night. Peter was tired, no doubt probably ready for a nap. And even more, they had just finished cleaning all their nets. This request by Jesus would require for them to to do that all over again. It would be like if you did a construction job or if you did some painting around the house or did some yard work and you had worked on it and then you cleaned it all up only for someone to say, we got a little bit more to do. And you need to get it all back out again. That is the last thing you want to hear. And that's exactly what Jesus says about their nets. You need to get them back out again and get them wet and have them have to be cleaned all over again. And then probably worst of all, this would have been in the sight of all the people. Remember, there was a crowd that had gathered, including fellow fishermen, What would they think? What would they say? What's old Peter doing? What does he think he's going to catch at this time? And in that depth. And so this request of Jesus, simple to us, was really inopportune to say the least. There would have been many reasons legitimate reasons for Peter to say to Jesus, thanks, but, but no thanks, Jesus. Uh, you, you stick to preaching, I'll stick to, to fishing. Or at the very least, to say, you know what, Jesus, that, that sounds great. Come back in about 12 hours when I'm going to go out again, and, and we'll, we'll put your suggestion to the test. But that's not what Peter does. Notice Peter's words, verse 5. 
Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now, this isn't a response of exuberance by any means, but there is a willingness. There is acquiescence to Jesus. And there is that key, isn't there? Notice what he says. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. At your word, I will do it. I find that fascinating. Peter does not ask for more explanation. He doesn't ask for understanding. He doesn't even say, can I ask about five questions, Jesus, before I consider doing this? He does it. And that is a, a difficult word, isn't it? Because oftentimes, if you're anything like me, you don't like to do anything unless it makes perfect rational sense in your mind. Now, what Jesus was asking was not irrational. He doesn't call him to, to cast his nets on the, on the ground or on the land. He tells them to, to cast where there could be fish, but it's not where you think there would be fish. And no doubt, in this way, he was stretching and testing Peter. It's the beginning call of discipleship, isn't it? That we need to be stretched and we need to be tested. Can we really trust and rely and believe by faith in Christ? Are we fully going to, to cast ourselves fully on him? Or are we going to be reserved? Are we going to hold back? Are we going to say, no, Jesus, you need to prove yourself a little bit more before I enter in fully? And again, I said that is a difficult word. It's a difficult word to me because oftentimes I want Jesus to work within the parameters that I set for him. Color within the lines that I have drawn. Do not stretch me, do not test me, do not push me because that is uncomfortable and that is painful. And so let me ask this morning, where is the Lord doing that in your life right now? Because he always is, isn't he? Where are we willing to take those new steps of obedience that stretch us, that, that push us, that have us to do things that we may not be altogether comfortable with? And are we willing to say what Peter says, at your word, Lord, I will do it. At your word, Lord, even if it does not make perfect sense to me. At your word, Lord, even if, and this one hurts a little bit, even when I am tired and weary, I will do it. At your word, Lord, even if it means enduring mockery and shame and being seen as a fool for Christ, I will do it. Why? Because my thinking, my comfort, and my reputation are not what is ultimate, but yours, O Lord. If that doesn't bring a little bit of conviction, then you're not listening. <laughs> That convicts all of us, doesn't it? And what we should see with Peter, yes, there's many times that Peter did not do what he was supposed to do, said what he was not supposed to say, but here is not one of them. Here's where he got it absolutely right. 
And my prayer for myself and for you is that our response would be more and more like Peter's at your word, Lord, I will do it. And what we see is that he is rewarded. Now notice Jesus does not incentivize Peter. He does not say, Peter, if you do this, you will catch the greatest catch that you will ever have caught. But he does give a promise, doesn't he? It's embedded in his words. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, it's called fishing for a reason and not catching because you can fish and not catch. Or you can hunt and not gather. But here, Jesus says, there'll be a catch. He doesn't say what kind or, or how much, but there is that promise. It's what Peter had been trying to achieve all night, and yet he hadn't achieved it on his own. And we know that that was not by accident either. But Jesus is saying, test me and see. Test me and see if my word is not good, if I am not good on my word. And Peter does. And what happened? Jesus was good on his word, wasn't he? There was a catch. And a catch like nothing he has ever received. In fact, it said when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were were breaking. It was really too much fish. To the point that their boats were were beginning to sink. Literally, their, their boats over flowed with fish. We hear in the Old Testament that through the Lord our cup overflows, doesn't it? In this case, the boats were overflowing to the point of sinking. And what is the the principle? The principle is this, that the Lord always awards and rewards obedience. Always. The Lord is no man's debtor. You cannot outgive God You cannot out-believe him or have too much faith. You can never say, Lord, I don't know if if this will be rewarded. You you can never say to the Lord, Lord, this is a little too extreme. I don't know if that you can deliver on the goods. No, obedience in regard to our gifts, our talents, our service, our finances, and our life are never, ever wasted investments. The Lord's work in the Lord's way is a blue chip stock guaranteed. Whatever it is, the Lord pays back much, much more. Our cup truly overflows. That doesn't mean that we'll have health and wealth and everything else. It doesn't mean that we'll have instant fulfillment or gratification. Don't get me wrong. But he will always, always, always supply all our needs in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then some. We are blessed many times over. It says in Matthew 10 that even a cup of cold water in my name, they will by no means lose their reward. Again, he says, everyone who's left house or brother or sister or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. We will receive eternal life. Again, he says, rejoice and be glad for, for great, notice that, great is your reward in heaven. 
We can never say, nor will we ever say, Lord, I gave you money, I gave you time, I gave you service, and and that was just a waste. Never. What is done for the Lord and for His glory will always be rewarded because we will realize it's really all that really matters. It's the only thing that is eternal. Therefore, as the late missionary Jim Elliott famously said, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Indeed, we are giving up that which we're not going to be able to keep anyway in order to gain that which we will never lose. And that which we never lose is Jesus himself. He rewards us again and again. And that's what we see in this passage. Well, third, we see a reaction. What is Peter's response to this? When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. You might read that, and rightfully you would think, that's a little bit odd. If I was Peter, I would have a, a contract in hand. Jesus, I would like to make you principal shareholder of Pete's Fishing Company, LLC. We can go in this thing together. Because those fish equaled money, lots of money. But Peter saw more than money, didn't he? He saw himself. And he saw the glory of the Lord. And that is what is probably missed in this passage. It might be easy to say, wow, what a, what a lucky catch. But Peter knew and we know that this was not luck. This was the powerful hand of the creator and maker of those fish. The one that is also the, the maker and creator of you and me. That the same one that directed the fish into those nets is the same one that that directs you and me every step of the way. And Peter recognized it and he fell on his knees because it was too much. The knowledge and the glory was too great. Who am I and, and who are you? All he knows is that he was truly unworthy. It does not mean that Peter knew all that he was going to know, but he knew enough to believe. And belief begins with confession. First, a confession of Christ. Notice he calls him Lord. There's also a confession of self, confession of sin, that he was a sinful man. Earlier, we had a confession of sin and Perhaps that is new to you. You might say, this is a little bit odd. This is a little bit unfamiliar. I don't know if I'm too comfortable with this. This is a lot of things that I'm confessing. But the reality is that is truly who we are. And in the light of Christ, we are sinful men and we are sinful women. And if we understand that correctly, if we understand the holiness and the purity of God and and our own sinfulness, our own defilement, then the natural reaction is to retreat. It's like when the lights go on and, and you see roaches scamper back into the darkness. That was Peter's response. He, he tells Jesus to, to depart from him. And that's should be our response as well when we understand the glory and holiness of our our Lord. But what is perhaps even more shocking in Peter's response is Jesus 
response. And we see that in the very next point that he has received. Look at what Jesus says to Peter first. Often we go to the, to the last part, being fishers of men or, or catching men, but the first part is equally important, if not more. What does he say to Peter? Do not be afraid. Better translated, fear not, Peter. Fear not. Have you heard those words before? They show up every time in the Old Testament when there was a Christophany, a a pre-incarnate appearing of Christ. What are the very first words? They are fear not. Abraham, fear not. I am your shield and your great reward. Isaac, fear not, for I am with you. Jacob, fear not. Go down to Egypt, for I am making you into a great nation. We hear it again and again and again. Perhaps you've heard this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear not. Fear no evil. You might even say it's one of the favorite phrases of Jesus throughout Scripture. And that is what is the wonderful nature about our Lord, even though he, He knows us that he knows our sin, that he knows that we are sinful men and women. He does not recoil from us, but rather he calls us to himself. He tells us to come near. He says, fear not, do not fear. Rather, come unto me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Remember at this point, Peter is dirty. He is sweaty from a long night of work, and now he reeks like fish. But the greatest stench does not come from the outside, but comes from the inside. And God knows that more than any, and yet he still redeems, he still saves, he still draws us near. Do you know the heart of your Savior in this way? Do you know the compassion and the love and the mercy that doesn't tell us to depart from us? Even when we say depart from us, rather he says come near. He bids us unto himself. Recently I was counseling someone. They were telling me all the, the bad things that they had done. And I think they were trying to convince me that they were a bad person. And I stopped them and I said... Oh, oh, listen, you are much, much worse than that. (laughs) But then said, but the grace of God is so much greater. As John Newton, a famous hymn writer of amazing grace, said at the end of his life, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. And that was what is true of Peter. Peter says to the Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus could have said, you're right, go away, clean yourself up, then come back and maybe I'll tolerate you. No, he says, come near. He says, fear not. Who amongst us needs to hear the same this day? I would say all of us do in the midst of our sin, 
We come confessing, but in confessing, we receive that mercy. In the confessing, we receive that assurance of pardon. We receive the, the good news of the gospel once again. And then notice what happens. We are repurposed. It says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. You'll be fishers of men. It's a, a new calling that they are to, to leave their nets behind and, and follow him for what purpose? The purpose of, of catching men. And instead of bringing death like they did in catching fish, they, they bring life through Christ who is the one that ultimately catches them and then cleans them from the inside out. And Peter and his brother Andrew and their friends, James and John, would, would do the same. They'd follow Jesus. They'd be repurposed for Jesus. They would be gospel preachers and teachers. They would be gospel ministers just like Jesus. That would become their formal calling, their formal profession. They would leave their fishing and they would follow Christ in full-time vocational ministry. Now, I know that is not the, the calling of all, but what a, what a great privilege it is as we saw this morning one man that is preparing himself to be exactly that. What a church it is to send others out to be those gospel ministers. That's why I'm so grateful and thankful for our internship program because that is exactly what we should be doing in the same way that Jesus calls these men. Those men are called in that way to be fishers of men. And even though all of us cannot be that, all of us should not be that, we still have a similar calling upon us. That our vocation, whatever that vocation is, is the means by which we go forth as fishers of men, as catchers of men. See, if you are doing your work for a paycheck alone, you've, you've missed the purpose of your work. You've missed the calling of Jesus. The calling of Jesus is to be a fisher, a catcher of men, no matter what that vocation may be. Doctor, lawyer, accountant, businessman or woman, teacher, homemaker, stay-at-home mom. We're always called to minister to others. Your vocation is just the means by which you do it. And in so doing, you, you minister to your Savior, to your Lord. He repurposes everything we do. For his glory and for the good of our fellow man, from the most menial of tasks to the, to the greatest. It's a part of how we are used in the following of Christ and pointing others to Christ. And so, church, how are we doing in our men and women catching? Who is it that we are, are praying for? Who is it that we're talking to? Who is it that we're inviting to church? Who are we ministering to that, that come into the doors of this church? I would say that there is constant and continual opportunities, even daily, to be a part of that. And we all have our, our parts to play. And I think what this passage would say is that we all need to grow and expand in those parts this goes back to that stretching, doesn't it? We are being sent out as fishers of men and women. We're called to be a part of Jesus LLC. Not for him to be on our side, but for us to be on his side. And again, we, we cannot say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm just really not that good at that. The, the Lord couldn't use me. 
That's true if, if it was just you, but it's not you, isn't it? How successful was Peter on his fishing endeavor on his own? Not very good, was he? Skunked, actually. But with Christ, he was overflowing. And so who was responsible for the results? It was not Peter. It was Christ. And it's not you. It's Christ. We're not responsible for the results. We're just responsible to be faithful. At your word, I will do it. That is what is commanded of us. And as miraculous as was this catch, how much more miraculous is the catch of men and women for the Lord? It's a supernatural work. And the Lord does it. He has done it with us. And he will do it for many, many others. And I appreciate how Luke puts it. The other gospel writers say that Jesus called them to be fishers of men. But notice what Luke says, how Jesus phrased it. Now on you'll be catching men. Not just fishing for men, but catching men. It's a gospel promise that he rewards when we are faithful to him. Again, as we go to the table, this passage before us, before us is a response passage. And the response is to be full, it's to be complete. or to give of our lives and our hearts and our service to him. And when we encounter the miraculous Lord, His holiness, His glory, as well as His mercy, His compassion, His love, that really is ground zero. But from there, He builds and shapes us into what He wants us to be as a part of His work, redeeming men and women, boys and girls, indeed, redeeming the whole of this earth, and so as we have been caught, so too may we enter into that calling, into that mission of being catchers of men and women for his glory and namesake.